Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Dallas is Ariel Schwartz-Tobin. Ariel is an associate at Jones Day, and we're going to be talking today about legal risks for compliance professionals, something that obviously causes people some concern. First, Ariel, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, our pleasure. Now, Many are worried about potential legal risks, um, and there have been headline cases, but you know, for the most part, they've been people who seem to be compliance officers in name only and concentrated in financial services firms. Now, how real is the risk for a corporate compliance officer and you know, a well-established real compliance program? You're right in that concern over the individual liability for corporate compliance officers is increasing. Um, recently, there was actually a study done that said that 81% of CCOs are somewhat concerned about um, individual liability and uh, roughly a third of the people polled were extremely concerned about that liability. But I think, um, as you mentioned, that's somewhat unfounded. The the individual liability for failures and compliance programs is generally rare. and, and I would say the risk is rather low for CCOs working in a, a well-established compliance program that is making a good faith effort to generally get it right. Uh, liability for individuals has generally been focused to highly regulated industries such as uh, financial services, healthcare industry, pharmaceuticals, um, industries where the, the risk to the consumer or to the individual or the investor is high. Um, and so where you see the case law going of identifying individuals being responsible are really, um, I would say, in two primary buckets. The first bucket, I would say, is that the individual was actively taking steps or knowingly complicit in an, an active fraud scheme, really egregious conduct. And those are the cases where you see um, DOJ involvement and, and really um, not just a failure of a compliance program to, to function effectively. And the second uh, bucket, I would say, of, of cases, and there's, there's fewer of these, um, really two that come to mind, are cases that are focused around individuals that were held liable for a general failure of a compliance program. Um, however, they were repeat offenses um, and each in, in each instance, the compliance individual had essentially been warned by the government in a prior action where they weren't held liable, and then the government brought a second action where they were held liable. So um, those cases are, are Busby in 2016 and North in 2018 and 2019, um, and, and we can talk through those if it's helpful, but really I think the takeaway is unless there is repeat uh, conduct where the government uh, essentially informs individuals and entities that they are not meeting their compliance obligations and then again fails to, to uh, improve or remediate the conduct or whether there's really deliberate intentional uh, fraudulent conduct. Those two situations aside, the, the individual liability for CCOs is very low, is, is pretty low. Well, that's reassuring. But, you know, are there mistakes that you've seen compliance people make that can nonetheless put themselves at risk? Uh, yes, I think um, the, the mistakes that people make that put themselves at risk 
I would call as um, big picture mistakes or big picture failures to dedicate the adequate resources to a, a good and robust compliance program. So for example, not putting sufficient attention or adequate resources on the compliance program to bring it up to where it needs to be to meet the standards that have been laid out by various governing bodies. Um, another uh, common theme that you'll see if you, if you kind of walk through the case law where uh, the individual was held responsible, you'll see a, a little bit of an ostrich problem where people are sticking their head in the sand and ignoring red flags that are brought to them. So it's um, less, you see less liability for just a failure of a program to identify a problem, but rather where you see individual liability is if a problem is identified by a program and is brought to a CCO and they don't do anything about it or they don't take action with you know, knowing conduct that, that's a problem that's going on. Um, another, another risk that I think is worth touching on is that the CCO is somewhat of a fluid concept. And in some organizations, particularly younger organizations or new organizations, is that the CCO's role is somewhat undefined and is somewhat taken on by people that, um, in some instances, wear more than one hat in the organization. So it's important to, to really scope out that role and define it as to what that individual is doing and what they're responsible for. And within those responsibilities, how are they going to carry out those responsibilities that have been de delegated to them? Well, like everything else, it seems, you know, having good definitions about what expectations are, having people with the requisite skill set, and then also a willingness to act is key and you know especially for anything in compliance you, you need compliance people who are willing to stand up and say something and follow up when there's an issue and i think this really underscores that need now what should compliance officers themselves be doing to mitigate the risk in, in addition to obviously you know resisting the ostrich temptation yeah um so a couple of things one theme that you'll see in in some of the case law where they were finding individuals liable is that they were having a communication failure that was a structural failure in the program meaning the individuals who needed the information weren't the same individuals who were receiving that information so um you need to make sure that the individuals who have an obligate who are fulfilling that reporting obligation for example um, and in a money laundering file filing suspicious activity reports that those people are, have a, a process by which they're receiving the information they need in order to do their job effectively um, so there was a recent case it is it was the Hyder case where FinCEN which is the financial crimes enforcement network found the CCO of MoneyGram individually liable. And part of that case, what part of the issue there was that information about fraudulent conduct was being fed to a fraud department and it wasn't being fed to the AML department. And so the individuals who were charged with filing the suspicious activity reports um, for uh, anti-money laundering obligations didn't have the necessary information. And so part of that was really um, charged back to Hyder, to the CCO, of that he didn't create a program that would have allowed the right people to, uh, to have the necessary information they need to effectively do their job. 
Um, so one thing that um, CCOs can do to mitigate those risks is make sure the structure of the program gives the right people the necessary information to do their jobs effectively. Um, one other thing that uh, compliance officers can do to mitigate those risks, as we mentioned before, address the red flags. What um, can be problematic for individuals um, from a liability perspective is being brought information to them, brought to their attention, and then they don't take any action on it. So um, it's important to listen to the information being generated by the compliance system and also to create an escalation system if concerns aren't being addressed in the normal course. Um, we also mentioned earlier, dedicate sufficient resources to compliance. Um, as a CCO, it's really your responsibility to advocate for yourself and for the compliance program to have sufficient resources in order to be able to do a good faith effort at creating an effective compliance program. And we've heard lots of examples and, and there, are, there are several cases about CCOs requesting additional resources and, and wanting more for the program and not having, um, not being granted by, by people that were senior to them in the organization. And to the extent that happens, it's really important for those individuals to document those requests so that if called upon later or questioned of why the program wasn't more robust, from a personal protection perspective, you can say, I tried to, to request additional resources and they weren't provided to me. Um, the last one I have on my list is um, documentation. It's a little bit like showing your homework, uh, showing your work in, in a math problem, is that if you can show the steps that you took as a CCO or as the compliance program took, in order to make a good faith effort to prevent certain types of um, inappropriate conduct, even if the compliance program isn't effective at preventing the conduct, you can um, demonstrate to a regulator or whoever is um, evaluating it several years later, the steps that you took. And it's only as good as what is documented. Um, so, and it's important also to save that information in a centralized location so that in the event that um, people leave the company or there's turnover, you have that stored centrally so you can still call upon it to say, here is what our compliance program was doing in 2015, and here is how it was effectively designed. And, and you can explain that to regulators. Even if it didn't work, it was designed and implemented in an appropriate way. Well, document, document, document comes up a lot when it comes to compliance, and here's one more place to add it. So finally, um, You've done a lot to probably allay people's concerns and also uh, to give them a way to really take matters into their own hands to feel as if they better control over this risk. Uh, but do you think we'll see an increased prosecution of compliance officers in the months and years to come? I really don't. Um, the universe of case law that holds individual CCOs responsible is really quite small and the conduct that are um, included in those cases is really egregious. Either it's repeat conduct of multiple um, sanctions by a, a government agency, or um, it's, it's like deliberate, knowingly in, intentional type conduct. And what I, in my opinion, um, courts and regulators are trying to prevent is the, the ambiguity that would ensue to the extent they start holding individuals responsible for just 
a, a simply ineffective program or even a negligent action as part of a program, I think that's a little bit of a slippery slope, which is why you see the conduct where individuals uh, are held liable is such a high bar. And I think that it's a high bar for a reason, because it, if it starts getting lowered, I think it's going to be really hard to implement where you should and shouldn't have liability. So I do think that um, should give TCOs some comfort that it is it is pretty limited and, and I don't see it um, moving far off that mark in the near future. Well, good to know. Uh, good to know for people about what the risks are and what to do about them. Uh, Ariel, thank you so much for taking the time to share these insights with us. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.